1: I'm just getting excited because this is the stuff that gets me up in the morning knowing that these guys want to change, they're willing to change, but they don't know how. And if we can put the tools in their hands and walk alongside them, then they can get in a right relationship with God, which is going to enable them to get in a right relationship with their wives, their families, their sons, their kids, their churches, and the impact is gonna be
2: astronomical. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you, because when a man gets it, everybody wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we we salute salute you. you. Hey
0: guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena Podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and as you heard, I'm here with our producer and co-host, my good friend, Dale Culver. How you doing,
3: my man? I'm doing good. Doing good. Now good. that I know that I have a job. Um, so, it's Oh, good. did
0: you finally resign from this one? Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah.
3: So yeah, you replaced me with our guest. Yep. It's I'll good. get your severance package out, never.
0: Hey, I'm really <laughs> excited about our guest today, actually. He's a 30-year-old guy, and he's been in men's ministry for eight and a half years, so basically his adult life, working with men. He is the northeast director for one of the, probably the premier men's conferences organization in the nation and so i'm really really excited to get this guy on our show but before we do that do you got a man word
3: for me i do and it's a present tense word oh, man. so it's I'm, got, a, I'm trying to guess what's the last three letters on it present
0: tense it's not in that's progressive Uh, progressive Progressive
3: tense tense. thank you dude dude i'm learning so much (laughs) you need grammarly (laughs) i don't uh i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with sharpening oh that's good i might say close that was yeah well it's it's kind of the same meaning ish uh equipping oh that was good what why'd you go that word well it's our guest's passion yeah he, he he equips us so that we can do uh what we're going to be doing here coming up soon. Um, But, yeah, equipping is so important for us men to constantly be equipped, uh, to be investing in ourselves, and uh, to be shaped to be the men that we're called to be. Well, that's really good because men are called to equip those they
0: lead but how can a man equip those he leads unless he's being discipled and equipped by others? Yeah.
3: And so this is the thing you're saying. So many times people will put people in a position but not equip them, and then they fail, and they go, oh, they, these guys were messed up. Yeah, well, we need to spend our
0: resources in the church. I'm, I'm speaking uh, this Sunday in a church, and and I'm sorry, but God speak, He starts with men. When God is going to do a s- historical kingdom, life-changing event, he almost always starts in Scripture with men. And if that's who God starts with, then we need to pour our resources into those guys that God is wanting to build, initiate his kingdom movements with. And so men need to be equipped. No, I really
3: think that's, that's good really good, word. man. So, hey, do you have a shout-out for us today? Anybody write a review? We did. Uh, if your name is on here as K-C-O-L-L-0-0, uh, hit me up. We want to hit you up with some swag. We want to thank you for leaving us a review. And, guys, when you uh, leave us a review, it helps us. Uh, move up in the search engines and so please do that go to itunes and uh, leave us a review and that'd be awesome I'll, and uh, i'll reach out to you uh when you hear this uh, on the podcast and we'll send you some swag so send you some swag and, and uh, if i straight. said i was sending you some swag and you haven't got it yet feel free to hit me up again and say dude where's my shirt that and never happens never, uh-uh. never.
0: So. hey i want to talk about our guest today his name is daniel legan he is 30 years old. He lives all the way up in the corner, other corner of the United States in Hartford, Connecticut, with his wife, Kadri. And he's recently the father to a little girl born on April 27th. Yeah. So, and as I shared earlier, for the last eight and a half years, Daniel has served as the Northeast director of Iron Sharpens Iron Men's Conferences. And I would say he's the right hand man of the founder and president, Brian Doyle. Last year, they held over 55 conferences around the country, uh, and plus they've got a new thing going on with marriages. It's really exciting. And he's been involved in men's discipleship his entire adult life. So I'm really excited to bring on our new friend, Daniel Legan. How you doing, my man?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm
0: excited. Hey, we're really excited to have you on. It's it's great to uh, get a younger guy on the show, and when we've the times we've interacted with you, we're just really, really impressed. And uh, a lot of times the right-hand man is hidden behind the leader and founder, but you're a guy who you personally make what 12 conferences happen a year personally. Yep.
1: Just about. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's insane. I I know guys that are doing four and it's a ton of work for those guys and we're doing one and we're kind of, you know, a little bit nervous about that, but to do 12, how do you pull that off?
1: Um, uh, there's been a lot of, a lot of work over the years. Uh, Brian Doyle lives in Florida right now, but he, did a lot of ministry here in New England for a long time, um, starting with Promise Keepers back in the 90s and then since then working for an organization called Vision New England. He sowed a lot of seeds and God gave a lot of favor to this ministry and there's a lot of good men up here in New England. Um, we call ourselves the Frozen Chosen because uh, <laughs> a tough place to reach uh, and uh, a lot of guys, it's a very educated and a very liberal part of the country But um, there's still a lot of a lot of strong men, a lot of strong churches and a lot of strong pastors. So they've been supporting us. And we have a good team here at Iron Sharpens Iron that helps put those events on. I'll tell
0: you what my experience is up there in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Connecticut. Love those guys. I love the New Hampshire guys, man. Those guys are live free or die, man. You got to love that state. So, hey, buddy, we're going to we're going to jump right in here and we're going to throw you into the rapid fire round. Are you ready for this?
1: Oh, I'll do my best.
0: We'll see. <laughs> you better do better than that, man. Hey, we're gonna. What I chose for you because you're a young guy and you can think on your feet. I chose what I call the "Would You Rather" round. So I'm going to ask you okay. five questions about what would you rather do, uh, one mm-hmm. or the other, and just tell me what it is and why. Real, real All simple. Right. Uh, first one: Would you rather climb Mount Everest or skydive out of a plane at thirty thousand feet?
1: Lots of people are dying trying to climb Mount Everest right now. They all got stuck at the top. Do you hear about that? No, no, yeah. So, but I'll, we can talk about that later if we have time. But bottom line is if I actually knew I was going to get to the top, then I would definitely choose Everest. But um, I'd do both in a heartbeat if I had the chance. Everest is a little over, a little more expensive. So I can't, can't, but (laughs) if someone was paying, I'd do that one in a heartbeat. I'd do Everest any
0: day of the week. I would love to do Everest, actually, right? I don't know if I, I'm almost 53. We're getting ready to do a 45-mile death ruck next weekend. Oh, my god So goodness. Um, I'd love to do Everest. But uh, those you climb across those ladders to get through the crevasses. And the, I think uh-huh. those ladders have a 250-pound weight limit. Oh. So that could be scary right there. For wow. Me. So people are stuck up there right
3: now?
1: Yeah. So basically, um, it's gotten feasible enough with, with uh, the way finances are in the world right now. There's enough rich people who are trying to get up there. And the uh, weather's gotten poor enough that there's only certain days that people can go from the last base camp up to the summit, and they actually had a queue of people waiting in line to try and get from, you know, right below whatever point to the final point, and there's actually this, this picture that I think um, BBC put out of just a line of people waiting to get up there, and there's a handful of people who died either because they were waiting up there exposed or they got to the top but couldn't get back down fast enough, and so it's um, kind of a... Yeah, kind of a tragic but unique situation that they're facing.
0: Well, and that's the thing about Everest that people don't realize. More people get killed every year above the death death zone descending after they've summited. People usually die on the way down, not the way up. So really interesting. So, hey, next question. If you lived your life again, would you rather live in the
1: past or live in the future? Future. The world's getting getting easier. Uh, My wife just gave birth about two months ago. And I just cannot imagine, you know, being out on the frontier in the 1800s and uh, what women used to have to do. And you get up at the break of dawn, you work all day and hopefully, you know, there's not a fire or famine and everything that you did your entire year is gone. Like not everything is great, but uh, I think we have a lot to be thankful for. And at least technologically, economically, socially, The world is getting easier for most people, I think, than it is harder. Yeah, I guess the question. I guess the question would be,
0: and I don't have the answer: is easier better or worse? You know, that's a good question. Yeah, that's that's interesting that he said the future. Go back to where there's no cell phones would be sweet. Yeah. Oh man, I think I would go back. But I I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, but we'd be. Do we'd be if we were having this conversation in fifty years? I'd be with you guys. I would have walked through a little circle. But you know, Doctor Strange would have done his portal, and I'd be in the room. I'd be in the room with you guys, and then when we were done, we'd go to Milan to get a nice cappuccino, and then we'd be back to work afterwards.
0: And visit my family because that's where my family's from. Yeah. Oh really? Yes, I am an Italian. So, wow, that's really interesting. You think that we're close to space? You think we're close to time travel? Do you think we're close to? Not fifty years.
1: That was an exaggeration. But um, (laughs) I mean, if you think of where we've come, where were we fifty years ago? You know. And and where we're at now, uh, it's definitely going by leaps and bounds.
0: Well, man, I go back in the past and slap Dale's mom anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I could. not
3: <laughs> We threw a mom it's joke just, out there. It just That's popped into my head. I didn't know we were head. allowed.
0: It just popped well, into speaking my head. Of which? It, no, don't talk about my mama. <laughs> anyway. Hey, have you? If would you rather have your heart broken <laughs> forever or to never have loved at all?
1: uh never ha- have loved at all. Oh, that's interesting.
0: A lot of people give different answers on that, but I'll tell you that heartbreak is tough. Have you had to go through that?
1: Not in a not in a like in a in a high schoolish teenager way. And that hurt, but that was more of just I think growing up and and learning to deal with emotions and things, not in a yeah. not in a major, major way. Um but I I wouldn't, you know, if you never have experienced something that you didn't experience, you don't know what you didn't feel. And I think that would be harder. You can obviously grow through difficulty. And that's one of the things that I think we're going to talk about later in this conversation, that a lot of people are um, hi- are hiding um, and protecting themselves from things that hurt them. And that's a, a harmful situation to be in. Um, we need to face some challenges in life. But I think if I had the the choice of the Pain or not the pain, I would go with not the pain.
0: Yeah, that yeah, we, we always choose not the pain, but it's actually the pain that benefits us, which is counterintuitive to what we want. And so, God usually works in our life through the pain, even though it's what we battle against to, you know, to uh, avoid. So, interesting. Would you rather live forever but have well, all... Wait, wait, Jim, yes, Jim, can
1: I ask you a question? Can I jump in there? Totally. So I don't know your. I don't know where you're at from a um, a eschatological standpoint. Oh but gosh would
3: you, <laughs> would you
1: would you rather if the end times come be raptured or not? Because if I had the choice, sure, take me up, let me skip out on all that stuff.
0: I would rather be raptured. You know what I'm saying? Yes. However, and I am not a eschatology expert, uh, but I, I typically side with the scholarly majority on most uh-huh. issues in Scripture. Which would put uh-huh. me in the all millennial camp, which uh-huh. would say that I, I the the rapture and the premillennial viewpoint is a, actually a very, a fairly new viewpoint in the church. Oh, that Tim yeah, LaHaye yeah, no. uh, made popular with his uh great Left Behind series, which I loved. I just don't think that's how God's going to do it because that's not how God has worked in history.
1: Oh, totally. I'm not. I didn't even <laughs> want to bring up a debate on it. No, it's okay. The idea to me is like. Would you rather get to skip out on all that hard stuff Absolutely. in Revelation, or have to go through it? And I'm like, yeah, if it was up to me, I'll dodge that ball.
0: Oh, for sure. And when people ask me if I'm an awe or pre or post, I, I I'm actually a yaw millennialist. <laughs> ya, yeah, it's gonna all w- play out in the end. You know what I mean? Cool. So I'm really I I love guys and gals who are passionate about that topic, and I love to address it, but and talk about it, but more to learn from them because I've chosen to not put a ton of my time. Uh, into it. I'm just not passionate about what I know is already happening. It's just a matter of order. and so that's Fair me enough. personally me personally, but that's a great question though because that does change your view of God and your view of suffering and and it's really good. So hey, speaking of that, would you ever would you rather live forever but have all the ones you love die
1: or live for a year with all the people you love? Definitely live for a year with the people I love. I mean, I'd feel bad for them because they'd be with you know it'd be hard I'd be leaving them. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not afraid to die. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with my Savior, and that's going to be an even better place than where I am now. Yeah, that's so powerful,
0: especially you're 30, so I'm 53, so I'm getting closer to, like, actually seeing Jesus, you know. And, man, um, I, mean, I really don't have a fear of dying. I do have a concern about how I'm going to go, you know, not knowing. I, I, mm-hmm. I would prefer to know, but mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of dying at all. It's just the not knowing when or how. That, that's the part that I just kind of go, well, God, I'm just trusting you. And, yep. uh, but we should not be afraid of dying
1: as believers. I mean, I, I sent an email to a guy at a church uh, that I hadn't contacted very directly last year saying, hey, are you interested in more information about Iron Sharpens Iron? His wife emailed back and said, hey, I just need you to know that unfortunately Jim passed away since you last spoke with him. And I was like, wow, I'm so sorry. You know, I apologize for interacting with you in this way. I'm sorry for your husband's passing. And she wrote me back and said, Why are you sorry? Jim is is celebrating. This is what he's he's with his savior, his Lord, the guy he's been the the God that he's been serving for decades. And um, I can't wait to go join him. And I was like, Wow, that is the perspective that I wanna have.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Well, you know, and the the truth is the truth is that life is hard, no matter how great our modern technology is life is hard i mean i i got to pray sunday i prayed with a woman who's got a terminal stage 4 cancer mm-hmm. and i got to pray with her and then 5 minutes later pray to the woman who got a random virus a year ago and has some major heart damage because of it and these are christian women who uh, love the lord and uh, life is hard and uh, we just can't escape it and so to have that eternal perspective really helps us it helps us in raising our kids it helps us in loving our wives it helps us in communicating and serving in our local churches and so it's really good man. So hey hey Daniel, you are a guy that that impressed me as a with as a guy with wisdom and I've just finished reading about Solomon's life and at 30 years old God asked him, you know, what can I do for you? He had just become king. He said, "Hey, give me wisdom." And so you're a guy who has a lot of wisdom. So would you rather gain wisdom from making poor choices or from listening to your parents? <laughs> listening to my parents. <laughs> Yeah, that's an easy one, huh?
1: Yeah, when you—I don't know who said it—I heard it from some podcast. When you uh, learn from other people's mistakes and experience, you get to live life on fast forward. So, yeah, I think there's so there's so
0: much wisdom in a younger guy leaning on older guys' mistakes uh, and lessons learned. There, it, it propels you years and years and years ahead. And and I know I'm raising three young men. I've got a 21, 23, and 25 year old and. And uh, you know, trying to help these guys surpass me in all areas, if they would listen to the the mistakes I've made and then lean on the successes, you know, and so that's really powerful stuff, man. Hey, I want to get into our po- our podcast and our actual question time and our interview questions, but before we do that, in five minutes, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, things you enjoy, hobbies, anything else you think would be pertinent for our guys to get a picture and a window into your life?
1: Sure, uh, I grew up in Connecticut, and I have. Uh, biggest parts about me, I I have nine siblings and seven brothers. So I grew up in a male dominated society and we were all homeschooled. Oh gosh, your poor mom. Hey, I don't know. I mean, she's awesome. (laughs) She's a, she's a saint and uh, so is my dad. They're, they're awesome. Actually, my mom is that, well, anyway, yeah. So they're pretty, they're pretty incredible. And I have a real great relationship with all of my siblings, but I would say that I grew up in a men's ministry of sorts just from the get-go. Yeah, And uh, I had the opportunity to go to a a university, Cedarville University in Ohio, which I really, really liked. And I learned a lot there, and I had the chance when I got there to be an RA, which was something that I thought was a great opportunity. And the way things worked at that school is it wasn't just someone who was making sure people were following the rules. We were in all-male dorms. And so I had 16 guys every year that I was an RA that I, was, I felt responsible for helping to disciple. So we had weekly Bible studies. We had accountability groups. We had prayer meetings. And um, we, as college students, had the chance to really build into each other. And most of the best relationships that I have coming out of college were with those guys and the families that we've all started since then. So I kind of grew up. Um, it, with lots of guys around me, with my brothers, with my dad, and in a really strong church community. In college, I got to interact with uh, the fruit and benefit and encouragement of being surrounded by strong Christian men. And then when I graduated from college, I thought I was going to become a history teacher because I love history, I love reading, and that didn't pan out. So I ended up connecting with Brian Doyle, who is the founder and director of Iron Sharpens Iron. He went to my church, uh,
2: oh, growing okay.
1: up he and, um, his kids were homeschooled. So they're a little bit younger than, than I am. Um, but some of my siblings are still the same age as some of his kids. So we knew each other. He knew my family. He served on the elder board of our church with my father. And so they were close. And at some point he reached out to me and said, Daniel, you're not, I was working as a stonemason actually. Um, And he said, you're not doing what you want to do with your life right now, are you, as far as a career? And I said, no. And he said, do you know what you want to do? And I said, no. I I thought I had some leadings, but it it hasn't panned out. And he said, well, why don't you come work for me at Iron Sharpens Iron? And I said, well, what would I do? And he said, I don't know. But my guess is we could find something that would be a good match for you and helpful for Iron Sharpens Iron. And that was eight and a half years ago. Um, I got married shortly after I started here and uh, been very thankful. It's been an incredible blessing to be married. And then we just had our first child, our little baby Hope was born six weeks ago. So um, that's a, a brief summary and wrap up of uh, where I got to where I am right now. Oh, wow. Congratulations on your baby, by the way, that's cool. Thank you. When you hold yeah, your child really for 30. the first
0: time, that's that's amazing. So I have a question that's just itching. So your parents yep. had nine kids, why?
1: Uh, it, ten. So I I was one 10. of ten.
0: And you aren't yeah. Mormon, and you aren't Catholic. So no, we did get asked. We did get asked a lot: Are we Mormon, and are they all from <laughs> one marriage? Yeah. And they all are from one marriage. Yep. So one set of twins. And so your mom was having children for
1: what time span? She probably had her first when she was twenty-four, and then for. Um, I think, we're, I think we're 20 years apart is the total. Oh,
0: wow. Like Your parents just love kids and just want to have kids.
1: Yeah, and, and they feel really compelled to um, be leaving a legacy and to be thinking multi-generationally and to say, Lord, what have you empowered us to do and how can we pass that along? And obviously, as I've just experienced with my wife and, and the labor and delivery and all that kind of stuff, you have to love kids. Different, different people react to pregnancy and to uh, being a mom and to the physical effects of labor and delivery and all that stuff differently. So I think that my mom did all that stuff pretty well. So that ended up working out okay for her. I know a lot of women can, can do differently with that. So that can affect things, obviously. Um, but yeah, they, they thought that was a good thing to do. And, and then I think, too, when you're homeschooled, at some point you reach a critical mass to where we all start pitching in and helping each other. And so the first three, four is pretty tough, but then we get in a groove and we're all handing off and doing different things. And each of us made a meal, a different night of the week. Each of us had different projects that we had to do around the house. Each of us had like zones of cleaning indoors and outdoors that were our responsibilities and um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, to try and alleviate, because my parents said, like, you know, we're a a crew, we're a ship that's headed towards a direction, and each of you needs to pitch in. If you don't, then we're just going to flounder, and and that doesn't work for anybody. So,
0: economically, that would be, did you have, how big was the house? How many rooms? Or do you have multiple children in each
1: room? Oh, yeah. Um, So, four-bedroom house. We had one- We had a triple bunk bed specially made for our family, which was cool. It felt like we were on a submarine. And um, the older you got, you got to move up the bunk bed. Being on the bottom was the worst. And then as you got older. So there were only two girls, two girls and the eight boys. And um, there is a a, um, 16-year difference between the oldest and the youngest. So there was some phase where some of us were in college before the others. But generally, there would be an older boy's room, a younger boy's room, a girl's slash baby's room, and
0: then my
3: parents' room.
0: Oh, man, that's that's awesome. That's cool to hear that. I, I've never met anybody from a family that large of you.
3: Not, not, like, not, not a
0: nuclear family. Yeah. That's really cool, man. So, hey, so you're at ISI now. So yep. wh- how would you explain your role?
1: It is significantly event planning because of how many events we're doing. And a lot of my role is to free up Brian and Rex and other people to be involved in doing the coaching for the churches. I don't do a lot. I do some, but I don't do a lot of uh, calling up a pastor and saying, hey, are there marriages in your church that are struggling? Are you having trouble connecting with the guys? Uh, I'm not at an age or an experience level where a lot of pastors are going to view me as a resource in that way. And that's completely fine. So I'm trying to help on an administrative and an executive level to free up other people to do that kind of coaching and ministry. So a lot of what I'm doing is, um, of is website. We're working on our website. We create our promotional materials. We book speakers. We book hotels. We do all the ticket sales. We do all of the marketing. We do all of the administration. It's a lot of it's a lot of event planning um, and a lot of organization and a lot of admin and um, making sure people's flights arrive on time and there's people to pick them up when they get there and all of that kind of, those different sorts of things.
0: I love the I love the Iron Sharpens Iron model in the sense that Brian's office is small, 800 square foot, and then his people all work remotely from around the country. I just love that model. I think it's a, a not an... E- I love it because it's a humility-driven model. It's not an ego build-my-mortar-kingdom model. And you what's the biggest challenge
1: working in Connecticut when your boss lives in Florida? It's visionary. Um, just making sure that we're on the same page as far as what he views as the vision and things that he's excited about. And then also trying to make sure we can all be on the same page. And when other people have good ideas, making sure that we can make all of that work. I'm sure you know, this you're someone who probably has a lot of great ideas and um, you're really excited about your great ideas. You think they're the best. And Brian thinks his ideas are the best. I think my ideas are the best. And when you're uh, 800 or whatever, a thousand miles away, whatever Florida is to Connecticut, it's hard to make sure that we're all pulling together when we're not right next to each other in the same yoke all the time.
0: Yeah, I hear you. Well, that's cool. So, speaking of vision, where do you see ISI in the next five years?
1: I could see two different tracks that it goes. We have a significant ministry right now with a lot of men who were deeply impacted by promise keepers and other men's ministry movements that came out of the nineties. And that's awesome. God is blessing that we're seeing a lot of fruit from that. I think that um, that could be where we continue to influence. And that would be really awesome because those guys have a lot to give, but I think that our ministry would, would, would become more of a, of a ministry that's trying to help, encourage people to leave legacies and make sure that they're building into the generations that are coming later. If we're going to be a more general overarching men's ministry that reaches guys in every phase and season, I think that we're going to have to, um, to look a little bit different, um, look a little more 21st century, a little more 2020 and a a little less, um, the way things are are reaching that different age bracket, we're gonna to have to spread ourselves a little bit more if that makes any sense
0: so how do you so you're talking about our our podcast is men in the arena, and that mm-hmm. arena is what we call the stress bubble of life. so our target audience is a guy twenty five to fifty five yeah you're you're right in there man you you're married, you just had your first child we're we're going after those guys. Everything we do is about yep. that age group, and what you're saying is i s i typically is a little older than that. That's what you're saying. I've I've experienced a a huge spectrum of men at those conferences, which I love, but how would you dial your focus into the younger generation? What are some things that you see Iron Sharpens Iron doing?
1: Uh, It's through the speakers, the marketing, the way that we dress things up, the way that we um, interact with our seminar titles and the guys that come in. I don't think we're gonna have Tim Tebow anytime soon. (laughs) <laughs> but guys of that ilk who are, are a little bit more engaged on a certain level versus um, we just had a conference a few months ago with Gene Getz, who is an amazing man who's left an incredible legacy. And guys in their 20s and 30s need to hear about that kind of legacy, but they probably don't know who he is. So it's nice that they got to hear that, but we also have to make sure that we have other guys who are up and coming and who have fades and high tops. And are are also on fire for Christ and making a difference. <laughs>
0: oh man, yeah, world, I won't be rolling up world. my skinny jeans anytime soon. But you know, it's interesting with Gene. Getz, it's interesting. It's interesting with Gene Getz. You know, Gene yeah. Getz just committed to sell men in the arena his Bibles at his cost. We huh. are going to stamp them with our brand on it, and we are going to sell them to the men in the arena as our official man. Bible. Wow. And so Gene, wow. and we're having Gene on our podcast actually next week. And okay. so we're going to talk about, like you said, his book, The Making of a Man, and we're going to talk about his Life Essentials Bible, which with its videos and QR codes is the best resource I've seen for men as a, far as a Bible hmm. goes ever, because the men with the videos, but you're I hear what you're saying. You want to attract younger guys, but so I, I thought you're going to go this direction. So I'm going to just outright ask you. These guys in the stress bubble, they've got one thing that a lot of these guys have in common is that they have children and a wife. They're trying to figure out a marriage. Do you have anything that you offer or you see happening with marriages with Iron
1: Sharpens Iron? Any focus Oh, there? yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we did we did just start up. Um, we, we started last year our Iron Sharpens Iron Marriage Conference, and that had an incredible amount of success. And we also found that a lot of people who were in that 30-year range, a lot of couples were saying, we needed this. This was really helpful for us. And there's some incredible resources out there for couples. Uh, Weekend to Remember is something that Family Life does, which is a really great uh, weekend for couples. But it's a weekend. And it's also a few hundred dollars and that's nothing wrong with that for the people who are invested, but we are trying to offer a one day shorter event that people can come to. That is, is something that they can get some real meat and substance from, but they can also go home and mow the lawn at the end of the day if they have to. And it's not going to, they're not going to have to book a hotel and spend the entire weekend. So um, we found that to be something that seems to be growing in a lot of its um it's its reach, and we're hoping that that's going to be something that's going to couple really well with what we're already doing. Hey, we're going to take a short break
0: and hear from our sponsor. We'll be right back at you. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with a mission to help men become their best version and change their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts and every man in the arena matters. Our closed Facebook forum for men, appropriately called Men in the Arena, is a great way for you to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Hey, because of my passion to see men get out of the bleachers into the arena, I want to offer a free resource to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email. We'll send you a PDF copy of the field guide. This is my 365-day bathroom book for men. It's a study of manly words in the Bible illustrated with great stories. This is a great resource for all of our arena men. Guys, you're going to love this book. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those in the anonymous bleachers pleading for you to get in the arena today? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. So Daniel, speaking of the Marriage Conference, we are having our first ever Iron Sharpens Iron Men's Conference in the Northwest in McMinnville, Oregon on April 4th, 2000 and I guess it'd be 20. Yes. Yeah, we're super excited about that. Are you finding that coupling the marriage conference as an event that happens after the iron sharpens iron conference maybe 6 months after is a good uh, a good recipe is that what you're promoting or is this more of a random thing
1: we're you know this is our second year so we're a little new to that arrangement but I do love a good appetizer before my meal and I love a good dessert afterwards so we we do think that this is going to really help us to have more of a year-round engagement with churches to have a different offering but not wearing out the same message because unfortunately some people um, if we had multiple events one in the spring and one in the fall they would go nah I already went to that I'm good but by offering two different kinds of events in different seasons we do get to still um, stay on their radar throughout the year and offer a valuable resource that's Um, targeted to a a slightly different audience.
0: And that just seems like a great recipe. I mean, you've got some mutual friends of ours, Rex, Rex Tigner. I know he doesn't have any events that he actually runs, but man, he's helping run a lot of events. You've got Roy Abbott, you've got uh, Tom and Tom Chessar, Tom Gensler, Mike Young. Are these guys excited about the marriage conference or uh, the coupling that with their conferences? Or what is the overall thought with these guys that are doing conferences?
1: They haven't done one yet, Um, But I think that will be coming down the pipeline pretty soon, especially just there's so many great uh, ways to partner with it. And this is thinking pretty far down the road. But there's a lot of speakers who who were like, "Ah, you know, we're not sure we're going to do a men's thing. But they would jump at a marriage thing because they don't have to leave their wife for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And they're really committed, busy guys who have a lot going on in their ministries and their service for the Lord. But, you know, we we use this card. Hey, you ever heard of fall in New England? It's beautiful you want to come up to New England in the fall speak for us for the for one day and then you have the rest of the weekend to go leaf peeping up in uh, upstate Vermont and New Hampshire and that kind of stuff um, is a good is is a good sell Oh I,
0: that's great man so hey so in the midst of all of this man you're 30 years old you've got a wife you've got a brand new baby you've been doing men's ministry for eight and a half years. Well, you know, here's my question for you, Daniel. What gets you up in the morning? In other words, is there something that makes you white hot with passion? I mean, is there something that, man, you're going, I will die on this hill. I'm so fired up for this thing. Is there like a particular thing that you go, man,
1: this is the thing for me. This is my one thing. It, yeah, it's it's definitely um, seeing men with a desire to honor God who don't have the resources to do it and don't know how. And Dale, and you talked about equipping earlier today. I, I sincerely believe there's a lot of men who would like to take the next step in their faith journey, in their relationship with God, in their relationship with their wife, and they don't know how to do it. And um, I'm just, I, I at all of our conferences, we fill out prayer cards. And we ask guys, hey, if you have a prayer request, put this in the bin and we have groups that will pray for it and we take all those cards at the end and we give them to different people who will pray for them. But every now and then I take a few because they speak to me and I want to remember that those are real men who wrote those requests down and I put them up around my office. So just as you were asking me that question, I have one right by my computer monitor and it's a guy who said, I had an affair 20 years ago. I've asked God to forgive me. I don't know if he has. I have not forgiven myself. Please wow. pray
3: for me. Wow. And,
1: I, and I read that and I just go, this is a man who is in, in deep need of a brother to, to walk through life with right now. And he's struggling and he does not have the answers. He can't find the answers on his own right now for where he's at. And so when I read stuff like that and when I see guys like that at the conference, and I know there's a lot of them, I go, these men, we can help them. There's not the, um, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to, I'm just getting excited because this is the stuff that gets me up in the morning knowing that these guys want to change, they're willing to change, but they don't know how. And if we can put the tools in their hands and walk alongside them, then they can get in a right relationship with God, which is going to enable them to get in a right relationship with their wives, their families, their sons, their kids, their churches and the impact is going to be astronomical. So, uh, yeah, um, I love uh, there was that. A period there that. No, that's good. Well, me. we just
0: had Patrick Morley on our podcast about two weeks ago. He just wrote a book, it literally just got released last month called The Christian Man. Hmm. And in that book, he says, A Bible or reading your Bible and being in a small group will solve 90% of your problems as a man. What do you think about that statement?
1: Um, I, I definitely believe that the Word of God can um, be powerful and can can reach anyone anywhere for what they need. Um, I think God has allowed us to be in community with each other to help each other. And so the small groups can mean a lot of things to different people. So I'm a little hesitant to, to, to comment one way or the other because I'm part of a discipleship group that meets every week that goes over everything that we could have possibly done as well as our scripture memory and whether we're honoring our wives and whether we're doing well at work and how we're doing with our finances and all that kind of stuff. So to me, that's, yeah, with that group in my Bible, I'm right. I'm in, I totally agree. Um, I've also been a part of a small group where we, we met and kind of like kids cried in the background. And then we talked about, you know, the, the baseball game the weekend before and touched on the sermon a little bit. And then, and then people went home. So I just—I I guess it depends a little bit on what what that means to different people. But um, the Lord's arm is not too short, nor is any burden too heavy that He cannot save any man wherever He is. I'm just, you know, we all we all need um, can use some encouragement from each other as well, though.
0: Yeah, that, I was just—that's what I was going towards. That we need to have a—we need to lock arm with other guys. You're talking about. You, you're talking about your friend, uh, the man who wrote the prayer request. And yes. the thing that came to my mind in that prayer request was, I know the guy showed up to a conference with other men, mm. but he sure sounds like a man who's alone and isolated to me.
1: Yeah, And yep. so
0: to me, isolation is the kiss of death. And so I'm going to ask you a question I really don't know the answer to, but you, you, you talked about that men really want and, and need this. When I look at the churches, and it seems like, 80% of the guys in churches are basically anonymous. They're mm-hmm. in the bleachers. They're not yep. engaged. Yep. And so my question to you is, are they not engaged because they don't want to be engaged? Or do you think these men want to be engaged, but they don't know how to engage?
1: Um, half of them don't want to. They're there because it checks a box for them mentally or something or other. And, um, you know, I would say forget them. Because if you're not going to get in the game if you're not going to be a man in the arena to use your and theodore's vernacular then i'm not really interested so a lot of them aren't interested and that's fine that's their baggage but for the ones who want to and aren't being equipped yeah i think that um some of the ways we do things need to be edited so that we can reach those guys and say okay you want to take the next step here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to lock arms and start moving through these things together. And I'm not sure that's the message that a lot of guys are receiving when they're going to, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I run events for a living. <laughs> and when I go to most churches, it's an event. I get handed an event schedule for the morning. When I walk into church, oh, yeah. I, I know, I know events because that's what I do. And when I go to church, it's an event, um, and so that's not hitting the guys where they where they need
0: it. Guys need the process. Well, you 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 know, we had we've had two conferences on our own, and then next year we're going to launch uh, and partner with Iron Sharpens Iron. I love Iron Sharpens Iron. I think I've been involved in about eighteen conferences from Oregon to Jacksonville to uh, northern northern New England, and I just love your organization. I love Brian's heart. I love your heart. I'm in. I love ISI. Hmm. I, and I know when we when we had our event last year, we launched seven small groups off of our event. And quite frankly, mm-hmm. our goal for Iron Sharpens this uh, 2020 will be to launch more teams all around the Northwest. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that is you talked about the next step. It seems like in a conference style ministry, the next step is to help these church leaders, these men's ministry leaders, launch teams or small groups or whatever you want to call them uh, with their groups of men. Is, is that what you are you trying to say here?
1: Oh, no. Um, well, so the goal, the way iron sharpens iron can be successful is if we partner with churches who are already doing strong men's ministry ah, and an okay. iron sharpens iron one year event is just a, um, that's one of the things they do. Like, it's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a cool event one time a year, but if there isn't something happening the other 364 days a year there, then it's, it's not going to bear much fruit, and it's just going to be a once-off, and guys are going to go back to where they were. And that's part of what gets me excited, but also is hard for me when you were talking about that guy. So that guy who came to the event, where's the support for him the other 364 days of the year? Because it's not enough to just go to an ISI conference and get excited once. You have to face the grind the rest of the time.
0: Yeah, and that's the cool part about your conferences. Like when I go there and speak at these things, I'm talking to men who have very, very similar DNA. The challenge for me and the challenge for Iron Sharpens Iron is how do we reach church-wide down the street that doesn't Mm -hmm. care about men's ministry or doesn't have discipleship programs or... Or maybe their priority is children and women and teenagers, but not men. How do we reach those guys? That's what gets me up in the morning. You know how mm-hmm. do we how do we get a hold of those guys? How do we inspire those pastors? How do we uh, uh, inspire incite churches to change the culture on Sunday mornings to appeal to men and then get those guys in the door and then bring them into the event of church on Sunday and then initiate and engage them in the process of discipleship. That's the question I have. I mean, you know what I mean? That's what gets me up in the morning. Oh, yeah. I just don't know how to do it. I don't know how to take a guy who's a senior pastor and who's busy. He's in a small church. He just doesn't have time for it. Or a church of a, a mega church. A lot of mega churches, uh, their focus of their dollars or focus of their energy is really almost opposed to men. So how do we get mm-hmm.
1: these guys engaged in the process? I yeah, don't they this- don't see the value. We have to help them see the value. Because what what people value, they put their resources behind. And um, organizations do it, people do it, churches do it too. And so if we can help them see the value in men's ministry, then the resources and the investment and the fruit will follow.
0: Yeah, that's really good, man. So you talked about uh, Iron Sharpens Iron. Iron, uh, You see that organization reaching a younger generation here with the marriage conferences with different focus and different things. What have you found? You've just left the 20s, so you're 30. Yeah. What have you found was the biggest challenge you faced in your 20s?
1: Accepting responsibility.
3: Hmm. For what? So
1: um, that it, it looks a lot of different ways, and it's, it's come in different places um, throughout, I guess, my 20s in my dating relationship with my now wife, making sure that I was being responsible for how a – at one point, single man and then a dating slash courting man, depending on your definition of terms, then an engaged man and then a married man. How does that man act in a way that honors God, honors this woman, honors the families that are involved with work? Um, when I had a job that I really liked and when I had that, a, a job that I didn't like, how do I be responsible for where I'm at with life and interact in that with friendships in my church? Um, but a, a really big thing that just happened about two years ago, my wife and I bought a house, and wow. that's, been, that's been huge for us and a great learning uh, opportunity for us to learn about what, what it means to accept responsibility in very physical ways, whether it's trying to um, fix a door or find someone to, to come fix the electricity because it went out in the middle of winter and, and it's below zero out. Those kind of things were hard and they're difficult, but you, you learn through them. And I think that a lot of people are afraid of responsibility because it's hard and, and it can be difficult. But in, in, in accepting that responsibility, you allow yourself to grow and your capacity increases. And then you can do more and you can um, do more for the kingdom of God as well. We
0: had uh, your boss, Brian Doyle, on our podcast Man, maybe a hundred episodes ago, but he said something very, very powerful. His wife Barb was still fighting, you know, fighting for mm-hmm. her life, and he said, "You know what? Men are made." I maybe he said, "Built." Men are built. Men are made for pressure, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really interesting. And you said that the thing that you've learned in the twenties is accepting responsibility. Do you think? Accepting the pressure of being a man and accepting responsibility are the same thing or are they different?
1: Yeah. No, I think that's very similar just um, looking at it from a different angle because the more that we run from difficulty and things that we don't like and allow someone else to take care of things for us, which would be rejecting responsibility and avoiding pressure, as Brian said it, um, we're atrophying. And we're, we're not taking the God-given role. But I think when we take a step the right direction, I think God blesses it and catapults us way further than we would have got on our own. And he, he says, Daniel, you did that small thing in the right direction, and I'm going to bless it and push you way further than your small amount of energy merited. And I think God loves to do that for us when he sees us following the pathway that he designed for us. And, and so many people that I see that are, that are younger are struggling with, we've grown up being told that everything is great, that we're wonderful, we're the single star in the universe, everything revolves around us, and if, if someone else doesn't take care of it, the, our parents will take care of it, they'll fix it, they'll fix your grades, they'll fix your car, they'll fix your, your computer, or the government's going to take care of it for you, they'll pay for your debt, they'll get you a job, whatever it is. And um, people aren't even—they're afraid to get married because that's responsibility. They're they're afraid to get a job because that's responsibility. They're afraid to move out because that's responsibility. And and they're afraid to get right with God. I know a lot of people who are afraid to actually interact with God because when you believe that there's a higher, greater power and there's a right and wrong, that means you're responsible to interact with things in a different way. And most people— in their twenties that I interact with would, would rather just put it off. They'd rather put it off for some time in the future when they're like, "I'm on my deathbed and I'll figure out God then." No, you won't. No, if you haven't if you haven't accepted responsibility for this long, you're not all of a sudden at one point going to go, "Yeah, I think I'm going to be a man now." That's a that's tough to do.
0: Yeah, that's really good. You, you've got me fired up right now, man. You know, James wrote in the James wrote that even the even Satan and the demons believe in Jesus and shudder. And I think this is probably one of the problems with belief in America is we equate belief to Sunday attendance, uh, you know uh, going to a church, you know uh, voting Republican, I don't know whatever it is. But, but we have a wrong definition of belief, and I think a lot of times our belief, or, well, I accepted Jesus when I was 13, I'm good to go. You know, it's this watered-down uh, grace, I call it grace doctrine, you know, it's cheap grace. And the problem mm-hmm. with that is there is, and we go back to our uh, earlier in our podcast, there's a pain avoidance, there's a pressure avoidance, there's a responsibility avoidance. And the thing that people need to realize about Christianity just looking at the life of Jesus is that Jesus dealt with the pressure, accepted responsibility, and he took the nails. And so, what we need to realize as men, this is what separates males from men, right? A man, you know, you figured it out in your twenties. I know guys in their eighties who haven't figured it out. You said, "I'm going to take the pressure. I'm going to take the pain. I'm going to take the responsibility." And so, even though earlier you said you'd like to live in the future because it's, you know, there, you know, it there isn't as much pain. It's very that's the very thing that we need, but it's pain on a different level, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. How how yep. how is how is the pain different than the pain we talked about earlier in the podcast? Uh, say that again. I'm sorry. How is the pain that a man who accepts responsibility experiences different than uh, the actual physical experience of physical
1: pain? Oh, it's it's different because um, you know that it's purposeful. And that you are following in the footsteps of your creator and you are engaging in what you were designed to be. So, my I I, I keep it keeps coming up because it's obviously the biggest thing going on in my life right now. But I have a six week old human in my house. And whereas uh, a number of months ago, I was trying to figure out if I was going to stain, you know, some outdoor furniture, now I'm trying to figure out how to shepherd life. And that's Hmm. a, a much deeper, bigger, more important thing. But I felt when hope was born, I felt like the Lord knighted me and said, you now have the purpose for which you have lived 30 years of your life in front of you. And this is now going to be the representation of your, uh, your manhood will be in how you raise this child for my glory, not, not for you, not so you feel great about it, but for God's glory. And that's something that's when I'm up at two in the morning trying to figure out how to quiet this um, this child that I love, but wants you know wants to make me crazy. Part of me does think, no, this is what accepting responsibility looks like. This is how I I am a man. And of course, I'd like to go to sleep. Of course, I would rather have ease and comfort in that moment, but. That's not how I fulfill God's role for me, and so I embrace getting up at two in the morning with my daughter, so that hopefully I can reflect God's love for me onto her, so that she can perpetuate what God has done, and and He can get glory out of that.
0: You know, it's funny, my youngest son Colton right now is uh, replacing the transmission on his Forerunner. Okay, and he's pulled it out three times and replaced it three times. I'm not a mechanic. Oh my the poor kid can't get it to stop linking. He finally found out it was because he didn't pull the torque converter out ahead with it as well. And so, but he's gonna do this four times now. Huh. And it's so hard to watch the the pain of this kid. But uh, on Memorial Day, just a couple weeks ago, we had the boys over my three sons are 25, 23, and 21. And Colton said, Dad, thank you. I said, What? He goes, Our generation is soft, and thank you that we're not soft. Your sons aren't soft. And I said, What do you mean? He goes, Well, we accept responsibility. You've made us work when we were in high school to support our cars that they were given to them by their grandparents, and you hmm. you you had us do stuff around the house, and you made us pay for our stuff, and 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 what he's saying because here's the deal that young man is going to have a wife and children someday, and what yep. you're experiencing right now, Daniel, is there the we don't we don't call it pain, but sleep sleepless nights that's pain. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Being tired is pain. You know, uh, t- wanting to surrender, you're your staining your furniture for holding a baby. There's a there's a sacrifice involved there that you're having to learn. And you said uh, you've experienced and you're experiencing something much deeper, you said this, and more important. And so my question is, what are you learning as a just a 30-year-old guy now about finding meaning and purpose in life that you didn't know in your 20s?
1: I, I certainly tried to do my best in my 20s to honor God with decisions that I made. But I'm realizing even more how impactful my decisions are on the people around me and how much people are watching and how great an opportunity we have to further the kingdom of God when we make the right decisions and and when we don't. And so I think that's just an increased humility and an increased drive to do the right things, So that I set an example, you know, um, is it, um, um, I don't, I can't remember the reference. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and impurity. And that's, that's what, what I, what I want to do.
0: First Timothy 412, I think, but I think you're right. Increasing in humility and drive. Isn't that interesting? So I'm driven, I'm passionate, yet I'm 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 serving, I'm loving, I'm I'm sacrificing my life. I love that almost sounds dichotomous, but I love that that combination. So so you're 30. So I have sons that are 21, 23 and 25. Give them some advice. They're all single by the way. Or they're not okay. married.
1: Um find things that challenge you in physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, um, whether those are adventures or learning a new language, do things that challenge you and force you to grow. And you can never spend enough time in God's word or with godly men. The more of that that you get, the closer you get to those men and to God through reading his word, the fruit will be astronomical and you'll never regret it because those things will chart the course for you for where you're going to be down the road. Man, that is very, very well said. That's good. You know, what we do in our family
0: uh, the last couple of years is we have a word for the year. And so mm. we share it on Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then, and then I pray over that for these guys. And my oldest son's word is grow and mm. he's single in 25 and uh, one of the things that we talked about, now tell me if I'm, well, I, I, be, I think I understand this pretty well, but I said, you know what, son, this is a great word for you because you need to take the time while you're single to really focus on becoming the man that God wants you to be because if you haven't become that man when you're married, you're going to really struggle because you don't have the time when you're married and have children to, to grow like you do right now. So take the time right now it seems like what guys do in their twenties, even in their teens, propels them through life. I mm-hmm. think life is so much more serious in the twenties than we let on. We let on, and, we, and the church doesn't focus on the twenties. You know this, yeah. Those twenty, those twenty years, we we don't do a great job of focusing there. But those are the years that really propel a man and a woman and a marriage throughout
1: life. Well, I'm a big I'm a big New England Patriots fan, and um, they they usually say. I haven't heard one time in the six Super Bowl champions that they've won where they've said, yeah, we had just a terrible preseason, but we kind of figured it out along the way and then we won. No, it's often been, we had a rough season. It didn't seem like the pieces were coming together, but in the preseason, we built that relationship and we knew that eventually the results would come and we would be where we needed to be when we needed to be there. And I couldn't agree more about the importance of making sure you put in the time now, because when you plant those seeds, when you, when you till the ground, the fruit will be there later. But And this is something that Brian Doyle says a lot. Brian Doyle, who is, is someone whose wife passed away recently after a long bout with cancer, now Brian is facing being a single parent for five kids. And he has a young son who just graduated this year and an even younger daughter, a teenage daughter at home. He's trying to figure out all that stuff. And he says, you need, to, you need to start the patterns now for the obstacles that are coming you don't know. You need to be investing for down the road for things that are going to happen that you're not aware of. And unless you're growing now, you're not going to be strong enough with, with the strength of the Lord and the things that you need to overcome the obstacles that you'll face later on. We can't just assume we're going to wake up when we need to. Like you're talking about, you know, 21, 23, 25. Okay, if you don't kick porn now, you think it's going to be it's going to be way worse if you're trying to do it when you're married Yep. or if you have an anger issue now and then you bring that into your marriage. Talk about an opportunity for Satan to come in and just be a bull in a china shop. You're drinking too much right now. Think of what that's going to do when you have added stress and added difficulty. And we could keep going with, with any myriad of these kinds of issues. And no one's perfect. I have my issues. I did then. I still do now. And I will in the future. But the more you can grow now, the the better it's going to the easier it's going to be, the more impact you're going to have for the kingdom.
0: Now, I, I couldn't agree more, man. I, I just think our young guys need to really focus on growing in into manhood, into the man that God has called them to be right now in this early phase in life. And it is their running head start into marriage, into child raising. And, man, I'll tell you what, I, I thank God for my 20s because mm-hmm. uh, I was married at 26, so I had a six-year run at it. I had about 3 years there as a Christian the other ones I weren't but wasn't but I had a run at it here and I tell you I thank God for those times they really propelled me uh, my desire to read books my desire to read the Bible my desire to have fellowship my desire to kick sin in the face you know these things were all things that started that got dealt with in the 20s where earlier on those weren't as an issue as much or I celebrated sin. And hmm. so this is really a big deal. So hey, so you're 30 You've got a a decade here you're looking at of your thirties. Do you have a question for men about what's gonna happen in the thirties? Are there any questions in your mind that maybe we can answer
1: well, uh, i i I know that um I could use all the the help that I could get um I'm just trying to think of um I have a good, I have a good thing. Let me, let me maybe, uh, see if I can, if I can come back to that. I'm not, nothing comes to, to my mind a second, but I'm sure there's, there's a lot. You, I was all ready to, to go the other direction. I wasn't expecting.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, I
0: just, I, you, you already answered the question without answering the question. You said, I know I have a lot to learn. I think that's the great thing about the thirties because my dad told me a man is never his strongest except at 40, at 40 years old, a man is his strongest. But to me, I felt like the 30s were my strongest decade physically. And in the 30s, the tendency is to to think we've got it figured out because we're strong, we're vibrant, we're working a full-time job, we're loving our wife, we're raising a family, we're building a family, we're making a family. But to me, those are the years where we need the most help. But mm-hmm. because we're strong, we don't think we need the help. And there's a humility there in saying, I really need the help in the 30s. 40s and 50s 60s 70s those have their own issues but in their Mm -hmm. 30s a lot of guys seem to think they have all the answers in their 30s and they they really they really need to have older guys come alongside of them and you've got those guys in your life and so you said that you you thought I was going to turn something else on you're going to ask another question what was it
1: oh no I just meant um I would I just wasn't thinking along those lines so
0: yeah, I wasn't I like either. I just kind of – you got me fired up, and I – no, I dropped the ball on that, so I do apologize. <laughs> hey, one last question. From your from your experience, what do you think the biggest conflict is for men who are in the stress bubble?
1: I think it's fear. Um, I think uh, uh, for a lot of guys it's fear of failure, um, even though they might not say it that way, is they are – afraid that they'll look stupid or that they'll feel even more stupid than they already feel. They're afraid that the little respect that they have for themselves or they think other people have for them, they'll lose even that amount if they do what they Mm. think they're supposed to. They think that people will um, be mad at them because they don't know something and they think they're supposed to know it all. And um, A lot of them probably had a tough relationship with their dad or with their father figure. And so they're afraid to follow the same pattern that that person did. I I think I just see a lot of fear, uh, out of, out of people who are facing all that stress. And so they, uh, react in these different ways that they think will help assuage that fear for them. Um, but that's, I think, yeah, I think that's the biggest difficulty that, that the root, that it—that's at the core of a lot of men not accepting responsibility because they just ignore it, they hide from it, they run away from it, or they try and medicate it with, with something else so that they don't feel the fear and can um, pretend that they're okay. That's
0: really powerful, that's man. I don't know if you behind me, right here. I don't know if you see that. Mm-hmm. There's a trap. Do you see that trap? Oh, I can't see the trap.
1: No. Oh, yeah. OK. So,
0: so that is there because it's a reminder. It's a mnemonic device for me because fear ah. fear is a trap. And to, to, to really realize that when I'm experiencing fear, to step into it, you know, just hmm. to, to lean hard into that because courage, all courage is, is fear that took a step forward. And hmm. so um, I think fear, I think you're right, man. I think fear is a huge problem with us as men. Fear of failure, fear of success, fear of rejection, fear of isolation. And uh, it can, at times, paralyze us. And so I think that's really, really good, man. Hey, thank you. Hey, Daniel, thank you so much, man, for coming on our show, uh, taking time to share your wisdom. And you are a man of wisdom, which I appreciate, and humility, and drive. And so really appreciate you coming on our show and, and being a part today.
1: Oh, I appreciate you guys. Can I I just say one quick thing, if you don't mind? Um, on Saturday, I got the chance. I took my dad and two of my brothers to uh, Fenway Park for our first Red Sox game ever together, which was pretty cool. So that was a fun time. I wanted to do a little Father's Day thing for him. On the way there, through a unique set of circumstances, we ended up walking through the Boston Gay Pride Parade, which was very unexpected. We didn't realize that was happening on the same day. Through and, or with? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um,
2: well, sure.
1: I just got to say, I haven't stopped – thinking about the people that I saw there and the need that I saw behind the masks that all of them oh, had on. Oh, for sure. And I am—I appreciate so much what you guys are doing at Men in the Arena and what this podcast is doing and what, what I'm trying to do at Iron Sharpens Iron and what Brian is doing and what all these men's ministries are trying to do is not to, to solve and – It's not a, I'm not trying to bring up a a debate or an issue about homosexuality. I'm trying to say that we are surrounded, and I rarely see it as painted and displayed as broadly as I did on Saturday by thousands of people who are looking for meaning and purpose so desperately. And what you guys are doing, what we're doing, is we are on the knife's edge. We're the tip of the spear to try and change that and give people, give men the answers that they need. And it's an honor for me to get to lock arms with you guys and say, yeah, those are my brothers in arms who are fighting the same fight that I am. Because sometimes it's discouraging. And sometimes you go, really? Are we making a difference? But knowing that there's guys like you out there who are continuing to campaign and push forward is a huge encouragement. So thanks for what you guys well, do. Well, I'll tell too. you what
0: I appreciate because I'll tell you, it is a battle out there. And, and you know, just like you're walking through that parade. You know, and, and, I, and I, I'm outspoken about sin. So I think the guy who has an adulterous relationship with another woman and, and, and parades her around, I think the guy who is a single Christian guy who's living with his girlfriend and sleeping with her and parades her around, I think that the man who is, who is loving on other men and parading that around, none of these are their best version in Christ. None mm-hmm. of these are. I think the guy who's yep. addicted to just had a story of a guy who's drinking, a Christian man, leader in his church who's drinking th- three and four shots of whiskey a night, that is not yeah. his best version. Or the guy who's mm-hmm. uh, got his pants down on the computer at all his office, that is not mm-hmm. his best version. And so our our role as we lock arms is to call these guys up to their best version, but we have to call them out. Of the of the yep. faceless nameless uh, stands and and these the, of the men who are engaged in sin and I'm one of them I'm just I'm a sinner like the rest but we need to fight that battle and uh, I, I won't shrink back from calling sin sin I just won't do it uh, and I'm not gonna vi- I'm not gonna I, I refuse to choose one sin above another mm-hmm. you know I don't have a pet sin uh, but I'll tell you what we need to call that out because unless a guy realizes man is this my best version. Until he realizes that he's not his best version, he's not going to want to leave that lifestyle, whatever that lifestyle is. And so um, I appreciate that, man. You know, we will. I was telling somebody the other day, they said, What what do you see your ministry doing in five years? I said, I'm going to tell you what. We are going to ride the men in the arena horse Mm -hmm. until the ground, and we're going to beat it while it's dead. I mean, we're going to ride Mm -hmm. this thing to the ground. Uh, the good awesome. news for us is that uh, we're expanding. Our first year of the podcast, we had ten thousand downloads. We're so excited. Last year, wow. we had forty thousand downloads, and this year, we're set to have a hundred thousand downloads. And and uh, we've that. got God is doing some cool stuff, and uh, we're just going to keep riding that horse, buddy. And so are you. So I look cool. forward to uh, you know. Uh, I, can, I love the partnership with ISI. I love you guys, and uh, really do appreciate. It. So, guys, speaking of that, uh, what is our boots on the ground? Moment. What is the next step? What action will you take today because of what you've heard? And here's what I want you to do, guys. Listen to this. This is really important. I want you to go to the Iron Sharpens Iron website. It's www.ironsharpensiron.net. And I want you to look for an equipping conference in your area or look for a marriage conference in your area. And I want you to go to it. If you live in the Northwest, we're putting one on right here in McMinnville, Oregon, for guys in Washington and Oregon. You get over to our conference. And if you go, wow, there isn't a conference in our area, then you go to that same website. You message Daniel Lagan and say, I want to start a conference. Because this is a great organization, and it is worthy of a voice in every state and every city in this country. So, guys, you go check that out. So, guys, we'll also post that on our weekly equipping blast for men that you can subscribe to by going to menintherena.org when you grab a free PDF version of our 365-day bathroom book for men. And also, guys, make sure you head on over to our Facebook forum for men uh, called the Men in the Arena with men from 86 countries on that forum. Good news, guys, for those of you who don't do Facebook, we are building a brand-new website. It's going to include a forum for men through our website. Whoop, whoop. Hey, guys, did you know that Men in the Arena is a nonprofit, crowd-funded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version? Hey, because of a large group of generous donors like you, we're able to freely offer this podcast weekly equipping blast, discussion forums, plus all of our small group resources for free to missionaries and men in underdeveloped nations. Guys, you can find out more about how to support our ministry at menintharena.org. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. (laughs) That was a
2: good one. Taste
0: the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Iron sharpens iron. Grind it out and
2: be a man. Men in the Arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everybody wins.